You're listening to Return Again on the Land of Israel Network, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and my guest today is Gidon Ariel. I sat down recently to speak with Gidon in his beautiful home in the hills of Hebron. We began to speak about his childhood when he hit me with a two-by-four. Turns out, he made Aliyah at the age of 14. No, not with his family, by himself. This was a fun one, with lots of thoughts from Gidon on the importance of living in the land and what it means to have a Geula redemption mentality. Here's Gidon Ariel returning again. Gidon Ariel, thank you very much for allowing me into your home to interview you to return again. Pleasure. We're going to start at the beginning. When's the first time you ever heard of the concept of living in Israel? That's a very good question. It might have been, I mean, I'm already uh, about 60 years old, so it's been a while, but it might have been in the uh, living room uh, where I grew up in. My parents were uh, Zionists. Right. They were labor Zionists. Oh, okay. Uh, in the days when uh, that was the, the main thing. And uh, so they might have talked about it. They, they invited their friends over, their labor Zionist friends, so they talked about it. But I... Uh, was lucky enough, blessed enough, to be a member of B'nai Akiva. I actually grew up in, uh, I went to Yeshiva Day School in Queens, and uh, when fifth grade rolled around, my parents took me out of there and put me into a public school in our neighborhood. And that basically made me feel, uh, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. So I wanted to pay more attention to my Jewish identity. Right. And uh, I nudged my parents for an entire year to go back to the day school. And in uh, sixth grade, when I came back to the day school, somebody there was doing like a chug, a Sunday morning jujitsu class. Okay. So I, so I uh, participated in that. And that guy who was doing it was also the head of the B'nai Akiva branch in uh, Hillcrest, where I was growing up. And uh, he turned me on to B'nai Akiva, and there was no looking back. I just loved it. So, okay, so let's let's just go back for a second, because it's very interesting to me that you said your parents were labor Zionists. Most of the people I speak with, even of your generation, uh, their parents were either Zionists or they weren't Zionists. It's pretty sophisticated to have parents who at the time were labor Zionists, yet sending their son to a yeshiva. So talk a little bit about how your parents arrived at that conclusion. or Maybe you don't know, but like, what is it about their own backgrounds that led them to be such specific uh, a flavor of Zionism? Well, I think it's a little bit easier than that. That was simply uh, where they and their friends felt like uh, being in. And they were like, I don't know, maybe they got a little bit of uh, budget uh, for the coffee and uh, donuts at their uh, monthly meetings or something like that. A labor Zionist, for, we're talking about the 60s. Yeah. The 60s was 10, 15 years after the State of Israel was founded. Right. And when the State of Israel was founded, it was Ben-Gurion. Yeah. Like he was like a, a demigod. So uh, I think that that might be why they fell into that over there. Um, But my father actually was born in Hungary. 
And when he was young, he was uh, he was uh, from grew, grew up from religious, right. or maybe right. I think they did they called it neo orthodoxy or something okay. like that over okay. there in, in in Hungary in Budapest. Yeah, he uh, survived the Holocaust, and uh, he came through Israel. He actually, um, he he I think he actually might have even started out in Hashomer at Sa'ir in uh, in um, in Hungary. But his cousin said, no, 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 forget about them. Come be with us in Bnei Akiva. So he became like a madrich in Bnei Akiva. He ended right. up bring, being a madrich on uh, a Ma'apilim ship, a, uh, an illegal immigrant's ship to Israel. They were turned away from the port of Haifa, or I'm not sure where, and they ended up being in Cyprus for about a year or two or something like that. you have any idea... Around what year that was? Sure, I, in about 1947. Okay, okay. 1946, maybe? Around then. So, so up in Cyprus. My father was in Cyprus. He uh, uh, was part of the Bnei Akiva Yeshiva that was founded in Cyprus. Right. When he finally was allowed to come with his garin, with his group, to Israel... Uh, I don't know if it was before, I keep, I, I'm not very good, I'm a second generation Holocaust survivor, the kind that doesn't remember anything. My yeah. brother is the kind that remembers everything. So I, I can never remember if he came before, uh, night, before May 1948 or afterwards, but it doesn't really matter. He ended up, instead of going to um, a, uh, a kibbutz with other friends of his in that uh, Garin Bnei Akiva, he went to Yeshivat Bnei Akiva in Kfar Haro'eh. Mm-hmm. So he was there for about a year or two. He studied with uh, Rav uh, Moshe Tzvi Neria, right. blessed memory. Right. And uh, then his mother and father heard they, that uh, that's where he was. They sent him a letter and said, listen, we're here with your sister. It was a small family. Um, we are in Paris. Please come to Paris and uh, we'll do a family reunion. So he went there and after two or three uh, weeks, he packed his bags and started going back to Israel. And his mother said, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going back to Israel. He said, the Nazis tried to separate us and you're going to separate us again? You're not going back anywhere. We're going to be together. Right. They ended up uh, moving to uh, Montreal and then from there to New York. And that's where uh, my father was. And he, he uh, became less religious throughout uh, those uh, decades. My mother, on the other hand, she did not grow up in a uh, religious family at all. Uh, she was born in New York in the late 20s, I think. And uh, but So they got together, I think, meeting in this Zionist um, uh, connection. This is just club, uh, just a club, the, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was. Interesting. So that's, and, and they had friends over there. So that some of those friends, I mean, most if not all of them, uh, have passed away by then. My, my, uh, my father would be, what, what year are we in? He would be like in his mid-90s maybe. Right. Even his, right. um, but uh, he passed away, gee, about uh, 15 years ago. My mother passed away, uh, like I said before, just as COVID was starting about uh, two, three years ago, something right. like that. Okay, so let's re- let's return to you. So, fifth, sixth grade time frame, all of a sudden you get caught up in Bnei Akiva, and you said like, game over. Game what starting. Was what, what was it about <laughs> Bnei Akiva? 
back then for uh, little Gidon? Well, it was it was very interesting. I think that in general, uh, youth movements are very exciting because you're you're there in the room with uh, the person who's in ch- the the adult in the room. One of the, the responsible adult in a room is barely shaving. <laughs> right. And so right. Uh, there's no no adults around, so you basically can have a lot of fun. So that's or uh, at the very first, you're connecting it with the word fun. So youth movements for me were fun. I mean, there are people that oh, I hated it. Okay, well, I wasn't one of them. Yeah. And then and also that fr- I remember his name was Yui Yui Alman. Some of your listeners might even know today. He, today he lives in uh, Bnei Darom. Yui said, listen, you're, you're pretty good at uh, jujitsu, but I'd like you to come over to, to my place. I, I need your help for something. And, the, and over there were hundreds of pieces of paper and envelopes. He said, okay, we got we to gotta put these, these letters into these envelopes to send out to Bnei Akiva. It was the first time anybody had ever given me any kind of responsibility at all. <laughs> so that was, that was, I remember that very fondly. And then, I, uh, then he uh, encouraged my parents that I should go to the Bnei Akiva Camp Mosheva in uh, Indian Orchard, Pennsylvania. And I loved it there also. Uh, my first uh, madrich, today he lives in uh, Beersheba, was uh, Harry Prower. I remember I was, I was there like in Ada Bet. What was that, like after sixth grade or after seventh grade, whatever it was. And so the kids were... were uh, you know how kids are in those ages. They were they were making fun of one of the kids, right. and so Harry told them, "Stop making fun of that fun of that kid. He's he's uh, new here." And and uh, Har- and I said, "Well, I'm new here also." To Harry he says, "Yeah, yeah, but you're you're already one of us." So that made me feel very good. I remember yeah. that also. Wow. This was like a year or two before my bar mitzvah. Those kinds of things mean a lot to kids. They do. Right? They do. But really, to to get a little bit more serious, I remember learning some of the. Chazals about Eretz Yisrael, about how um, putting on tefillin and talit in uh, in Chutzlaretz is just practicing right. for for Israel. So I said, "Wait a second, we're just practicing here. That means we got to move to Israel." And that was it. I mean, again, with uh, I probably learned a lot more interesting things. And again, these were being taught to me by people who were five years older than me. And right. I, was, I was barely bar mitzvah. It was very interesting for me. And I said, I can't wait to move to Israel because I guess it'll just be like Camp Moshevah all year round. So let's go forward and then we'll come back again. Okay. So you're 13, 14 when you're deciding this. How old were you? 11, you... 12, really. Okay, fine. So how old were you when you moved to Israel? 14. The whole family moved back? No, 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 no. How old were you when you moved to Israel, made Aliyah? I made Aliyah when I was 14. I came here on Aliyah HaNoar. You're kidding me. No. Why would I kid you? What the heck is this? Okay, explain what Aliyah HaNoar is, and then let's go from there. I'm not sure what it is today, but in the old days... I'm not sure if it is today. In the old days, in the very first days, you had hundreds of thousands of orphans, uh, tens of thousands of orphans from... From the uh, from the Holocaust, sure. and so the, we had to figure out a way to do it. So they called it Aliyat Hanor, to some some mechanism for bringing youth to Israel, youth Aliyah, and uh, that was still was around in the in the in the late seventies. So in, uh, in in ninth grade, I was again between sixth grade and ninth grade. Most of the time, I spent in the the clubhouse of Bnei Akiva. 
sure. more time than in my own home. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's in, a common thing. In in uh, ninth grade, I was in uh, Yeshiva High School of Queens, which right. a, a year or two after that uh, just went uh, went uh, out of business. Okay. And my parents and I decided that we'd have to sit down and decide what I would do for tenth grade. In New York, there were other uh, yeshiva high schools, so uh, that's probably what I was expecting. But they, when they sat me down, they said, "Would you have you thought, or would you think of going to Israel?" Now I'm guessing that possibly might have been a little bit because of of the the budgetary issues, because right. by going to Israel, you get a whole bunch of uh, money in, in terms of uh, uh, get, getting sub- subsidies or something like that. Not only that, but the other side also. Jewish education in America was very expensive. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you get the benefits of Israel and you also get the lack of cost in, in exactly, the United States. Exactly, exactly. Double hit. My, my father, remember, he studied in uh, Kfar Haroe. Right. And uh, the youth aliyah shaliach his name was Nachum Cohen. For some reason, I'm still remembering his name. Uh, he said, well, we've got a program in Nativ Meir in Bait Vagan. So I had no idea about any of this stuff. And just, it happens to be that the Rosh Yeshiva of Aryeh Bina is coming to the United States. I'm not sure why. Maybe a little fundraising, maybe family. But he can interview you. So my father and I went to visit him in Brooklyn, probably. And my father remembered the Hebrew that he knew. He was a polyglot, you know how these Europeans okay. are. Yeah, sure. And so the interview was mostly him talking with Rav Bina, who was a teacher. He was a Rav at Kfarroeh. Right. So my, my father and he remembered each other from back interesting. then. Interesting. Very interesting. So I, I was a little bit of a shoo-in. Thank you, thank you, Dad, for letting me go in. Yeah. And uh, then I was really looking for... This was like in, in April and by... And I remember having to come back uh, from, to the city from, from camp because I had to do another interview or another test or something like that. But uh, the end of that summer, I, I broke the news to my friends, hey, I'm going to Israel for 10th grade. And uh, I did a little goodbye party for myself in uh, Flushing <laughs> Meadow Park. And, uh, and that was it. And I arrived in Israel. And... and y- you and your parents assumed it was a one-year thing, or, or you assumed like... They might have assumed that, but I said, this is it. They, they called it Youth Aliyah. I already knew yeah. what the word Aliyah meant. You had no concerns about being away from your family? I had already spent two or three or four years of those summers right. being in summer camp. Yeah, in okay. Israel today, summer camp is like four days or something like that. Yeah, there, yeah. it's two months. Right, no, but I also went to summer camp, and at the same time, I never thought about moving to a foreign country uh, away from my family, never. And I, by the way, I wasn't even particularly close with my family. But <laughs> it's, like, it's a remarkable thing at the age of 14 to have either the maturity or lack of maturity to... Or a little bit of both. Yeah, like, so, I mean, do you remember saying goodbye? Like, how, also, f- flying to Israel was not like a simple thing back then. So it, it was the first time... It was not the first time I had been on a plane once we went to uh, to a... Uh, a wedding or something in, in Montreal, okay. but it was certainly the first time I'd ever been on an intercontinental yeah. flight. Yeah. And I was just amazing. Listen, I'd been thinking about this for driven. three or four years. Yeah. And this is it. This is, I'm now going to do 
what my life's goal and has had been outlined by God himself. I guess I, it was just something that, that I was blessed to have that idea in my head. And you lived with a family or there was a dorm? How did it work? It was a dorm high school in Jerusalem. Right. Still exists today. Uh, yes. Uh, I think it's under different management or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But uh, certainly Rav Bina, he passed away a good number of years ago. And I got there about three or four days before school actually started, like before Rosh Chodesh Elul or something like that. And I actually came with a whole bunch of other American kids mm -hmm. coming on a Youth Aliyah program. Mm -hmm. Most of them were going to Hadassim Youth Village near Netanya. Right. A few of them went to um, some other youth village, the Goldstein Youth Village in Jerusalem. How many were what you would refer to as Dati? Two. Me and some other kid. Right. I think he went to Shalavim or something like okay. that. Okay. I don't know. Or, or maybe I'm mixing him up with the other guy yeah. that won the New York Spelling Bee with me a few years earlier. I don't remember. Yeah. Right. But not, nobody else was religious. As a matter of fact, they said, listen, we're, we landed, I don't know, at 10, 11 o'clock at night. So... We're sending you to Jerusalem. In the morning, you'll figure out how to get to Nativ Meir. So I spent my first night in Israel at the Goldstein Youth Village. And, uh, and with a lot of boys and girls, I said, okay, you guys will be in that room and I'll be in this room. <laughs> and right. uh, the next morning, I took a cab to Nativ Meir. And they, they connected me to the dorm, to the principal or something like that. They delivered me. He said, okay, uh, here, here's a key. Go to the dorm and, and hang out there until school starts. So for a couple of days, you're just hanging out there. I, I'm telling you, I remember some of the things that I remember. How does this trees work? Like, how do you open up the window over here? Right. And I, like, peek through the trees to the, to the candy store across the street. I was wondering, you know, somehow I had, like, 100 liras or something like that. Can you buy a candy bar with 100 lira... lira? <laughs> Bill, I mean, would I buy a candy bar with a $500 bill? You know, like, I, I this is what the, but luckily, um, in, in those days, there was, and I think in these days also, there's a, a very well-known Israeli custom of having a teacher strike at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So for like three months, there was a teacher strike that year. It was 1978. And I quickly made friends amongst, mostly the other Anglos in my grade. We had about 120 kids in the, in the grade. And a few Israelis also, a few non-English speakers. A lot of them lived in Jerusalem, and they were going to the dorm anyway. So I spent a lot of time in their homes yeah. for Shabbat, and uh, we did Tulim also together. It was just a lot. It was just the continuation of Camp Moshava. That's what you, it was. You had never been to Israel before. Never been to Israel right? before. So, this is unbelievable. So, you land, and then you go to Nativ Meir. There's a three-month strike. So, you're exploring. Right. And hanging out. And, like, what kinds of things do you remember about that time? At any point during that time where you like, have I made a mistake? Like, talk through a little bit about what you experienced then. You're talking about those the, the, the teacher strike or, or the, the my time in Nativ Meir? I'm talking about those first few days and those first few months where you didn't have to go to school? I don't, well, I 
think the way it was that the, uh, in Yeshiva High School, you have like four or five hours of learning Torah in the morning and then four or five hours of learning uh, math and sciences in the afternoon. So the afternoons were striking, but the Torah wasn't striking. Oh, okay, okay. But they sort of let us out. They, I, I don't yeah. know exactly how it worked back yeah. then. I, I remember being a little bit in school, a little bit not in school, and, and really that was the way it was for the entirety of high school. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I, again, that, that first day, gosh, I, I didn't say, oh my God, I made a mistake. I said, wow, this is really an experience. It's an exciting adventure. And that's what it was. I re remember, again, every, so much has changed in Israel since uh, 1978, for God's sakes. Uh, for example, most of your listeners were born since then, I'll bet. <laughs> yes, certainly a, a bunch, yeah. Um, I remember today, across the street from Shari Tzedek Hospital, which, by the way, was built after I made Aliyah, mm -hmm. but... Today, there is what's called uh, Ramat Beit HaKerem, a, a modern neighborhood. In those days, it was an empty field. And so we would often go, especially during the, the hot months, we would, if we had, a, if we had a, an hour or two off from school, or if we just felt like taking an hour off from class, yeah. there were uh, um, caves and, and, uh, and wells over there. So we would like go in there wow. and just hang out there. And, wow. and, this is so much more nature was going on back then. The, the old city, of course I went to the old city. I remember, now that you're asking me again, you told me I could, this is a yeah. bare wall interview. I remember seeing the Kotel for the first time. I said, wow, it's not doing much for me. <laughs> and to this day, same, same thing? Today, it's Harabait that's doing more for me. I understand. <laughs> but, but we can talk about that later, but in terms of the Kotel, like, it never spoke to you? No, 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 no. Def it definitely... I remember going to the hotel the first time. It was probably for Slichot or something like that. And I was like, we, we saw the hotel from above, you know, near where Eshatora uh, uh, is or something yeah. today. And I, I said, wow, I'm, I'm supposed to feel something. But I, I definitely remember not, not feeling so much. Yeah. I was, again, I was just a kid. Tenth grader. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so th that I remember, but but the old city I remember going and jumping up, walking, figuring out a way to get on to the walls of the old city, right. and walking around again. This was before they turned it into a national park or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. and 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 there was a no turst turnstiles or anything like that. Yeah. I was just walking around, and I felt, and they said, "Oh, here's a way for me to get down," and I actually managed to get down from the ramparts, from the walls in the old city, in the Kishle Police Department. <laughs> Can you imagine? Right. Oh, I just managed to fi find my way into the police department. How many yeah, yeah. times did that in those days? Uh, there was less problems, less, yeah, sure. less security issues. That's something that <laughs> was just amazing. Wow. And how were you doing in terms of picking up the Hebrew? Uh, I was, somehow, I uh, managed to pick it up. Again, my classes were all in Hebrew. And right. so a lot of the stuff I didn't know, I remember sitting with a friend of mine in, the, in, in class. I said, okay, get on, we're going to see how good your Hebrew is. Write down the Aleph bit. So I wrote down the Aleph bit for him. I said, okay, you, you missed only about two or three letters. Not bad. 
sure. But um, but in those three years, I I definitely made an effort. I said, "Wow, I, I got to pick up the Hebrew," and I managed to pick up the Hebrew. Baruch Hashem. When's the first time during these high school years that you saw your family again? So, I I mean I I'm I'm guessing. It's not like you came from like a fantastically wealthy family. Not where at all. Anytime anyone wanted to go to wherever they wanted to go, they could go, right? So it no. must have been a landmark the first time you visited or they visited. Or whatever. So I think that my father came to visit uh, around Hanukkah. Okay. After I got there in uh, in uh, September or so, so October, November, two or three months afterwards, he introduced me first of all to his family. Remember when he made Aliyah. He made Aliyah with his cousins. My father um, had about 10 brothers and sisters, 12, something like that. And uh, his father was the oldest. And the second, my my grandfather's name was Lazer, Eliezer. And his younger, one of his younger brothers, but one of the older of the the family, was uh, Baruch. Baruch had six boys, ultimately. And they all made Aliyah. Mm. They all first moved to Haifa. They first lived in Haifa. And then they all, most of them, all but two, moved to a moshav called Sde Ilan near Tveria. Okay. Near Tzomet Golan. And so my father brought me up to them and introduced me. And it was, it was great for me because, first of all, all four of the, of the sons who were living in Sde Ilan had boys about my age. Oh, great. So I yeah. was, uh, so I liked going there, but I didn't have to go there every Shabbat. Like often people, when they come to Israel, say, oh, you're our relative, you have to be by us every Shabbat. Right. No, 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 I went there on Rosh Hashanah and Pesach, pretty right. much. Right. So it was, it was just right. <laughs> and, and it was very nice to have those relatives. My father also introduced me to a very good friend of his from his high school in, in Budapest. His name was Gabi Shafat. Right. And uh, he became a lawyer. He ended up being the uh, legal advisor to the, to the interior, the minister of the interior okay. here in Israel. We didn't have a lot of people back then. Everybody had to do something, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a year after that, a friend of mine from... YHSQ, who was there with his family, his father was doing some sort of a shlichut. He was uh, he also worked for the some ministry. I don't remember what. So when I was starting to think about going to Nativ Meir, my friend there uh, in ninth grade, his name was Moshe Shorer. Okay. He said, Ah, I'm also going to go back, but only in eleventh grade mm. to Nativ Meir. That was where all the cool kids went in those okay. days. Yeah. Uh, but he, um, he told me, Gidon, when you go to Israel, you have to be in my Bnei Akiva branch. Sniff Kiryat Moshe. And that's where the, the Shafats also lived. Oh, okay. So they became one of my Mishpachot Ma'amtsod, one of my adopted families, yeah. the, the Shafats. Uh, they actually didn't have a boy my age. They had a girl my age, but that's another story. Uh, but they had another boy a couple of years younger, and, and I really was uh, invited in to be one of the family. And not just them, the Rotenbergs also in, in, the, in Kiryat Moshe, and uh, the Avirams. Everywhere I went, they said, come to us for a meal, and it was just wonderful. I just enjoyed, 
discovering Israel, discovering Jerusalem, and uh, I've been here ever since, pretty yeah. much. Um, obviously, after high school, you do army and then get on with, with further aspects of your life, which we'll get to in a second. Was your last name Ariel? When no, no, no. Yeah? Good question, good question. So what was your last name? What so was your family's last my, name? My family name was Reich. Okay. Uh, Reich, as yeah, we pronounced right. it. Sure. And, uh, but I, uh, full disclosure, when I, when I, I said I like the, the name Reich, it wasn't such a great name. We had the third Reich also, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I was sure. also the third in my family. So uh, I, I was I was wo- I was wondering if I could um, change my name, and years later, uh, I was I was worried. You know, I would offend my father, but years and I was thinking either I'm going to change my name to Ariel, which was the uh, name of my shevet in Bnei Akiva, okay. or Raziel, which was uh, a friend of mine in. Uh, Malay Dumim. Afterwards, I learned in Malay Dumim in high school, so I met this fellow Raziel. I said, oh, that sounds like a nice name. Um, my father came to visit many years later, and he said, get on, I'm thinking of changing my name, of Hebraicizing my name, wow. from Reich to Raziel. I said, get you out. Having had no conversations with No you. conversation whatsoever. That's incredible. So instead of saying, wow, I was thinking of Raziel, uh, <laughs> I decided to go with Ariel anyway, but at least I, I realized that my father wouldn't mind if I uh, he sized my name. Did he also change his? He ended up, he, uh, towards his later years, he uh, took the pen and started um, writing poetry. Mm. And it was published in his, uh, in his uh, um, senior residence in, in, in the Century Village newspaper or something like that. Okay. But uh, he named with his nom de plume, yeah. uh, Peter Razel. Okay. All right. So he never he never changed it officially, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I changed it officially. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so uh, as you're you're going through high school here, how many siblings did you grow up with? I had two older brothers and one younger sister. Any of them toy around with the idea of coming here? So throughout those three years of high school, yeah. I would write aerograms. Some people, right. some people might remember that. We talked this, about them in earlier episodes. That's those, right. Yeah, those blue, uh, those blue I, one-pagers. That's right. I would write very small letters and sure. I write like a thousand words and every week I would write, you guys have to come here. This is where you all belong and it's yeah. the land of Israel, the state of Israel. So exciting. Whatever I wrote. Yeah. And in fact, in 11th grade, my brother decided to come to Israel. And then after him, my sister came to Israel. And then finally, my mother came to Israel. My parents divorced since then. And then my brother went back to America. And then my mother went back to America. And then my sister went back to America. So so, so they didn't just come here to visit. They came here to They came to live, yeah, yeah, yeah. To Dazu and everything. And they all went back. They all went back. After how many years? One or two or three years. They gave it a shot. They gave it a shot. And in those days, I think, I don't know what what the... Statistics are today, but I think in those days it was well known that barely 30% of American Olim stayed. Wow. Yeah. Um, So you finished high school. Then what? I finished high school, and then my options, as opposed to the options of my uh, American counterparts, who I had kept in touch with a little bit, uh, to go to uh, some college or university, uh, for me it was the Army and Yeshiva. So I uh, looked around at different places, 
And I said, the one thing that I want to do is go to a yeshiva, because most of my friends were going to Hezder yeshivas at the time, a few right. were going to uh, Merkaz Arav. Uh, I want to go to a place where there aren't a lot of Americans. Okay. So I, this, I went for a Shavuot yeshiva or something to um, Male Adumim, Yeshivat Birkat Moshe. And I said, wow, I really like this place. Also, the Rabbanim there were very young. Right. And, uh, and, and it was also a new place. I was only the fifth uh, class of Male Adumim. And it was in, Male Adumim was like in the desert. Yeah. So it was, it, it was saying pioneering all over. So, very biblical also. Eh, eh, eh. So that's, uh, by the way, Male Adumim appears in the Bible, in, right. in, in the, the book of Joshua, I think chapter 19. Uh, and so I got there, and little by little, I recognized that a few of my people, the other people there, they were speaking Hebrew, but they were also Olim. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I spent my most, I think, most of the time I spoke in Hebrew to them. In uh, high school, I was one of these people, I, I got to speak Hebrew, I'm only going to speak Hebrew, only going to speak Hebrew, you know, the way it does some people are. I've, yeah, I've yeah. mellowed out a little since then. Okay. But I, I went to uh, Yeshivat Hezder in Malay Dumim. I, I didn't know, in that year, they were deciding, uh, they were switching over from tanks to paratroopers. So I didn't make a decision where I would go. So my Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Yitzchak Shilat, said, you don't make a decision. Well, where are you going to, because we, we, we could choose that year. Okay. So I said, I have no idea. So he said, okay, you go to tanks. So that's why I ended up in the, in the, the tank corps. Right. Um, this is after 82. This is like 84? It was 82. Oh, it was 82. That, so, that you had to make this decision. Uh, yeah. So I, um, went, we went into the army a day or two before Yom HaShoah of 1982. In, in uh, April or so. April or May of 1982. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1982, in September, I think, or yeah. October, was the first Lebanon War. Right. So for three months, we did basic training, and then we got out for, uh, for a, a week vacation after the first part of basic, or maybe it was two months of basic training. In the, in the tanks, you do two months of learning which side of the gun you're supposed to hold, <laughs> then two months of learning about tanks, in, in mostly in academic uh, space, and then two months of actually putting it into uh, preparation. That was called SAMAP. Uh, the first, the middle part was called Miktsoot, and the first part was called Basic or something like that. But after that, for those first two months, the war broke out. So right. they called us back. I was, I, uh, my friend, Moshe Shorer. That's okay, go. My friend, Moshe Shorer, uh, had made Aliyah, and together we went to Male Edumim, and we were in the Tiv Meir together also, and uh, he was also a Chayal Bodeh, just like me because his family was still in the States. Uh, and so we went for a Shabbat after, um, after this, the finishing of, uh, of uh, this first part of basic training to visit some girlfriends of ours from, uh, from B'nai Akiva, Snif Male Kiryat Moshe. Right. And on Shabbat, they, the, these, two, these two girls um, were doing service in uh, Ma'alot. So on Shabbat... Malot in the north. Malot in the north. Uh, so on Shabbat, we were doing Sudash Lishit, and all of a sudden we saw, not far from us, smoke coming up from right. rockets coming in from Lebanon. Yeah. 
So we said, oh my gosh, what's going on over here? We went back to, we knew that we weren't ready to, to do any army service, for God's sakes. But uh, uh, somehow they called us back on Sunday and said, listen, your, your uh, week-long vacation is cut short. Come back, we'll, we'll figure out what's going on. And so ultimately it was reserve commanders who gave us, did, did the rest of preparation uh, of to be finishing our, our training as tankies team. And uh, then at the, at the end of our, uh, of our studies, which we did in Nitzanim, which is not far from Ashkelon, we did the middle part, and then the last part we did in um, Tseilim, which is a little bit uh, down from Beersheba. And then they said, okay, we're finishing, we're going up to uh, Lebanon. So that was it. It was nine months of the first stint of the army in, uh, in Hezder then. So the two, two months in Nitzanim, two months in Julis, which, was, which is also not far from there, in, near Ashkelon, and then another two months in Seilim, and then three months in, the, in Lebanon. What did you do there? Uh, mostly, we, covered the tank, we uncovered the tanks in the morning and right. covered them at night, it was, and we made a lot of uh, um, hot chocolate, right. and uh, we made toasting with, with a lot of margarine and salt on our, on our uh, heaters, and that was it. We were, it was, we saw no, I saw no action, they, they Baruch Hashem. Needed, they needed arms and legs. Of course, of course, no, no, no. This was the, nobody knew what was going to happen in, in Lebanon. We were in Lebanon for like 19 years or something like that. Yeah. But we were there just for three months and we, uh, we just enjoyed ourselves. I'm a guy that likes to make the most of uh, whatever happens. Lemonades, lemons, you make lemonade. How'd you meet your wife? Ooh, that was a long time later. Uh, after I finished Hez there, I, uh, by that time I was hanging out a little bit more with Americans, and I said, okay, I'm going to go uh, live where all the Americans live in Kiryat Moshe. Right. So I, I uh, went and got an apartment in Kiryat Moshe and then realized, oh my gosh, everybody's moved to Katamon. So a year later I moved to Katamon, and, I, and every year I moved to a different apartment for like 10 years. I uh, was hanging out in the... Uh, Middle south side of Jerusalem. Now, just so everyone understands, like Katamon back then, that was like the single scene, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it makes sense that you would hang out there. Up until <laughs> that year, Kiryat Moshe, I thought was right. a single scene. Right, right, right. So I you were a step slow. I was, I, I so, but, but I, I hung out yeah. in the, in the, in the mostly English-speaking uh, single scene for about ten years. Uh, at one year, I. Um, was doing fundraising for some, for some organization. And uh, I was told, listen, why don't you go do a, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, a, a chug bayit, a salon meeting in Malaya Dumim. I said, great, Malaya Dumim. I know my friends over there from when I was, when I was studying there. And, uh, and I went over Friday night to meet the person who would be the host of that uh, um, parlor that parlor meeting, and the wife said, "Oh, he's somewhere else. Uh, doing went to a, a sheer Friday night somewhere, somebody else's uh, house." And I went there, and uh, I I participated a little bit in the in the in the class in the sheer, uh, three or four people, and uh, evidently the hostess of that home saw me and told her friend 
who would be my wife, I've met the man you're going to marry. Really? Yeah. So the host of the parlor meeting was told by the host of the shiur, um, you should uh, ask uh, Gidon if he's interested. So I said, I don't know. She should come to the parlor meeting. So she came to the parlor meeting. I wasn't interested. <laughs> but uh, we kept up after uh, a few, once or twice, we met each other at other singles events. And uh, after, I think, about a year, I said, you know what? Maybe Bechozot. And uh, it took us a little while to get together. But ultimately, Baruch Hashem, we've been together now for, I think, 26 years. Right, right. Good start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 26 years is a good start. That's right. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, you finished high school, you finished Army. Employment or was, how, did university fit into the picture? Like, what, what, what kinds of decisions did you make post-Army? Which you're, is really when you have to start making decisions in this country. You're, you're really not giving uh, uh, enough uh, credit to Hezder, to Yeshiva and Army. Okay, talk about that. Uh, I was in, again... Nine months in, in yeshiva. First, I was a half year. The way that it worked then, Hezder was a half year yeshiva, then nine months of army, then come back for like a year and a half or two of yeshiva, then another six months of the army, and then another year or two of yeshiva. The people who are paying attention will, will that adds up to uh, five years, right? Or four and a half years. When I got to yeshiva, I said, my gosh, I'm going to, in Yeshiva High School, where I started learning Torah, uh, we would learn until 8.30 or something like that. In, in Yeshiva Hezder, the, the Seder went up till 10.30. Right. So I said, wow, I'm, I'm going to not do this all at once. I'm going to do it until 9.30, and then I'll make my way up to 10.30. Very good. And then I said, my gosh, this is crazy. We're learning so much, and it's so hard. In the yeshiva, in the, then we went to the army, and we, we became all that we could be. Because you were, staying, you were doing six hours of sleeping, and you would get up at six and go to sleep at midnight and run around all day, and you saw that you had a lot more into you. So by the time I came back to yeshiva, I said, 10.30, that's for, that's for wimps. Right. So I would wow. study until 11.30 and 12.30, and we had chavrutot all, all the time, and it was just amazing. And so, so much of this Torah that I was learning in, in the yeshiva that I really felt that was really my ashkafa. I don't know that if, if I learned my ashkafa in Maleidumim or I said, wow, I'm so lucky I got to the place that really fits my ashkafa. Right. But Baruch Hashem, and, 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 I, and I owe Hakarat Tov to Maleidumim for, for really setting me to where I am today. I really have to be grateful for learning the Torah that I learned and for so much of the Hashkafa that maybe we'll get to yeah. today as well. Yeah. But after, after that, I felt, you know, what did I, what did I know? I knew B'nai Akiva. So I said, okay, I'm going to be, what, what do they call it? A community organizer. Right. So I got a job in B'nai Akiva and you have no Lami and in, 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 there was this thing called... Uh, not nefesh benefesh. Tihila. Tihila. I was. I was. I did something for Tihila also. And I listen. I was alone in those days. I don't know how it is nowadays. First of all, apartments cost a lot less. Yeah, sure. And and I and it was very mikubal, very uh, accepted that you lived with two other flatmates. So I was maybe my whole uh, 
uh, income uh, expenses were maybe I don't know a thousand shekels or something like that. So I had a half-time job, uh, two half-time jobs. I, I was I wasn't I wasn't pursuing a career. One year I said, you know what, I'm going to go study in university. Uh, I was bored, I guess. I went in, to the Hebrew U and uh, said, okay, I'll study philosophy. You know, after about uh, two, three weeks, I said, no, this is this is not for me. Interesting. So, so I didn't, I didn't, yeah. st I didn't stick around. Um, I did also a tour guide course, but I ended up not doing that either. I was pretty good at, at starting things, but not finishing them. Hmm. Uh, but uh, we had a lot of fun in, uh, in Katamon. A lot, again, I made Aliyah in high school. Most of my friends made Aliyah after, after university. Sure. Um, so people would say, wow, you've been here five years younger, longer than us. But, uh, but that's where most of my uh, friendships were in those days, I think. So when you and your wife did decide to get married, where did you settle down? So she had an apartment. She was divorced, I said. So she had an apartment in Ma'alei Adumim, just around the corner from the yeshiva that I went to. So I simply moved into that apartment. And there we lived for about 15 years. She brought uh, our two oldest into the marriage, uh, Eli Sheva, now Eli, and, uh, and Akiva. And uh, we then had uh, three more kids. And... Uh, when we and we were living in two and a half bedrooms, ninety square meters. Wow! So uh, after a while, my wife said, "Okay, we got we got to upgrade a little bit." And uh, <laughs> we I, again, this is not necessarily uh, chronological, yeah. but uh, Devra had a second cousin or something like that living in Ma'alei Chever, not far from Chevron. We would come here for uh, Pesach for for Lela Seder, and uh, one year. My um, son, who was, we were looking for a place for him for high school. Uh, there was, there's a, uh, a yeshivak tana here, a yeshivak tana tzionit in Mali Hever, And it's a small place. So we looked into it and uh, my son decided, hey, I'd like to go here. So he came here and we continued to come and visit uh, our uh, cousins. Right. And um, one uh, lunch... Uh, my wife's cousin's husband took me outside and said, you see this house next door to me? You can have it for 250,000 shekels. <laughs> which, which was a laugh. I mean, That's a, a ridiculous a, a, apartments then, we said, we're going to check this out. <laughs> we looked around. We ultimately took a nicer place for 500,000 shekels, which is still ridiculous. Yeah. And we put our apartment up for the mark, on, on market and Within a week or so, or two or three, or whatever, we sold it for eight hundred thousand. <laughs> and I think we sold it just before the prices went up to like a million oh, or something like that. Right. And today, I I haven't. Uh, it's been a while since I've uh, checked the market, but I think that uh, that apartments in Malay Dumim and Mitzpenavo where we were living, that apartment probably two million or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. that and and million. and the and our place here is uh, growing also, but we. We added on a little bit, and so we moved from 90 square meters on the second floor to 180 square meters on your own chatzidunam. Right. Not even, uh, not even an attached home. That's Stand, right. A standalone Standalone home. home. With The American dream. With what might be the most incredible view. 
I think so. It's really yeah. incredible. Sorry to your podcast listeners. If this will be a vlogcast, <laughs> we would show it to you, but uh, you can probably find something. We'll, we'll include a photo. We'll include a photo uh, uh, when we post it. Um, I, I don't want to make this sound like uh, like here you are at the end of your life. Chas v'shalom. Halfway through. But, uh, yeah, but um, when you look back and reflect, like... Do you realize how remarkable it is that you came here at the age of 14 and and made a life for yourself here? Or, do, or are you just like, eh, what's the big deal? Look, I'm sorry I, to put you on the spot like I, that. No, no, no. I, I recognize that not too many people did. By the way, in the TV ear, there were a lot of kids from South America, Brazil, right. Argentina, a lot. A handful. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> uh, but, and again... By the time I got to the army, Hez there, there, were, or, there was already such a thing as Chaylin Bodedim. Right. So in my tank unit, there were, there were some guys like that also. But by the time I finished Hez there, then a lot of, uh, of uh, single people were coming on Aliyah from the United States. So by then, it, it was already the, the great Things equalizer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't, it wasn't such a big deal. I wasn't such a big deal anymore. <laughs> but, but to live in <laughs> Israel... Again, it, it, I was on my own, but I was used to it, you know? But living in Israel was just an amazing dream. I felt like here I was, not a distant uh, spectator or observer, not even in the bleachers, but I was there on the playing field. And that is just something... That, and it wasn't, and, it, and, and again, as a religious Zionist, it wasn't just, wow, this is really cool, Zionism. But religious Zionism, you know, as they say, Kukian, Rav Kook Zionism, that right. this is the Geulah. And that is just something that is, has powered me ever since. So it's less from, me and it's more Israel. From 14. From 14. You're, you're from, thinking Geulah at the age of 14. I think, I think from 12. I think yeah. that is what they were selling us in B'nai Akiva. And, and I drank that Kool-Aid. Really unbelievable. I want to shift gears. We have some rapid fire questions. The, the questions are rapid fire, but the answers can be however long you want them to be. You ready? Okay. In the Ariel home, Kedem or Israeli grape juice? Neither. Wine. <laughs> of course. But sweet wine. Oh, uh, okay. But uh, Israeli grape juice if for our grandchildren. Be, if there's going to be grape juice, it's Israeli. Uh, Heinz or Israeli ketchup? Israeli ketchup. Where do they sell Heinz out here anymore? <laughs> <laughs> the Israeli food you love the most. The Israeli food that I love the most. My wife's cooking. <laughs> that, that's cheating. You're not uh, allowed to say that. Uh, uh, a dish. Uh, uh, a something. I, I like shakshuka. Oh, okay. And I also like uh, shawarma. Right. And Muravi Rushalmi. You've got me started. <laughs> <laughs> Can I give you my take on shakshuka? Sure. I think it's the dumbest dish in history. I don't care. I mean, <laughs> it's it, so it, dumb. It doesn't have to go to <laughs> university. <laughs> That's true. No, it's like my my kids, they've heard this from me a thousand times. I don't understand I don't understand the the idea of it. It's like eggs and tomato sauce. And it tastes like eggs and tomato sauce. Like Okay. Why is that a thing? Why and eggs without tomato sauce? It just tastes like eggs. Big deal. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. I just don't think it should. I don't. Know. Oh, you're saying you're saying why is it getting such? Uh... Why are people so excited about yeah. something? I, I don't understand. But anyway, 
It's your it's your interview, not mine. <laughs> Is there an Israeli food that people love that you're like, how could anybody possibly like that? No, 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 no. I I personally don't like olives. Oh, I've heard that a lot. I just okay. don't like olives are all over this place. What what <laughs> what is but besides olives and beets and radishes, yeah. you put it in front of me and it won't be there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um you came here at a relatively young age. The When you speak in Hebrew, do you have the Israeli accent? Did you try to have it? Did it just happen naturally? Talk about you and the Israeli Hebrew accent. Some people say, oh, Gidon, I heard your American accent a mile away. Other people say, what? You're American? I didn't notice your accent at all. I'm talking about Israelis. Yeah, 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 talk yeah. to me in Hebrew. Um, but uh, so... It, it doesn't bother me that much. I feel that I uh, write better in, uh, I've already forgotten, if it's write better in Hebrew than in English. I read better in English than in Hebrew. And I express myself orally and hearing uh, equally in both languages. Okay. After all, I've been here for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. give you a tip yeah. for your Israeli Hebrew accent. The hardest letter of all is resh. Yeah. So the trick is, choose any other letter except for R, and you'll sound like an Israeli. Oh, that's funny. A B, a D, a Z, anything. Right. Try it. It oh, works. That's funny. That's, that's really interesting. Um, what brings you to tears of joy or pride in Israel? Oh, so I thought you were going to ask, uh, not necessarily of uh, pride or joy. I cannot listen to a few songs. I can barely even think about listening to a few songs without uh, shedding a tear. Right. And uh, the song that uh, I always think about, there, there are a few like that. Right. It's Balada La Chovesh. Oh my gosh. I am right with you. Yeah. Even just now, I'm getting the chills. Well, of course. Of course. Incredible songs. People need to hear that song if they haven't heard it. All you listeners, Google it, listen to it. If you need to, translate it. It is a remarkable, a remarkable poetic achievement. It's unbelievable. And, and it, real. And, and it really is. And, and we're seeing it now. We're, we're, we're recording this during, during the, the Gaza-Hamas war. And people are really sacrificing themselves. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is, and really, I guess you could say that that is, that is what I'm proud of. Because, and I, I also like to say, and this is a, 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 a takeaway, uh, Israel is a family pretending to be a country. <laughs> I've never heard it said that way. That's fantastic. That's really good. Wow. Um, other than your home, where's your favorite place to be in Israel? <sighs> oh, my. Uh, my children's homes, <laughs> my grandchildren's they, homes. Where do they live, by the way? Are they fanned out across the country? Like, talk a little bit about. Not that. across the country. Okay. My my first the my my first child to get married was my uh, middle daughter. She got married when she was like nineteen. Yep. Uh, she moved around, but most recently she spent a while in Utniel, mm -hmm. not far from here in uh, Southern Hebron Hills. Uh, and then my, uh, third married son, another, the third married child, 
they also, they started out in Sfat. He was in Hezder Yeshiva in Sfat. And my daughter's husband was also in Sfat. That's how they actually, my, oh, my That's how they met. Eh, I won't go into it too yeah. much. But uh, they ultimately lived together in Otniel for about a year. The two couples. The two couples and their children. Right. Uh, my uh, youngest married son, I have a younger daughter who's not married yet, but my but Chaim Tzvi, he and Liel and their children still live in Otniel. He is a uh, dorm counselor in the Yeshivat Yechanit over there. But my uh, daughter Shirarina, who was first in Otniel, they moved out of Otniel and moved to a place called Kfar Zoharim, which is a youth village for, um, uh, I guess you could say, for Haredi kids who've gone off the derech. Okay. Uh, and uh, so... Ma, so Ori, who is my son-in-law, is a dorm counselor over there. And that is about 40 minutes from here. Uh, not far from, uh, between, about halfway between Kiryat Arba and Kiryat Gat. Got just it. outside of the, or just inside of the Green Line. Right. Um, but close enough that uh, nobody's ever heard of it. I can pretend that it's in New Davish Run. And uh, my son, who's married, lives in Harbracha. Oh, nice. And so we're very, we, we are very happy for him to be there, and we like the yeshiva over there, the uh, hashkafa we find very good as well. And my oldest daughter uh, lives in Yerushalayim uh, with uh, a, uh, a, whatchamacallit, a flatmate. <laughs> and my youngest daughter, I'm not sure where she lives. I think she lives here. <laughs> how, how old is she? She's 20. Okay. So she's okay. just so she's now. All over the place. That's right. She's just yeah. now. She last year was a merakezet. Uh, 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 what's it called? A kamunarit mm-hmm. of Bnei Akiva in Rechelim, oh, okay. not far from where Akiva lives. Uh, and uh, this year she started out in a uh, midrashah, not far from here in in uh, Maon. Uh, but she, I think she's uh, had enough of that, so she's going to find the. I think she's found a job in Kfar Gush Etzion. Whatever, she's on her own. Right, right. So all of those places is your answer to the question of your favorite place to be? It, to be with them, of course. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, it's been a while, really. Uh, I've been pursuing my vocation now for about a decade, which has mostly been in this room across from a computer. And I really, I really love my work. Uh, but I do remember when I was a kid, I loved to, uh, my favorite Tulim were, uh, let's see if I can even remember the names, were the Daraje, Nachal Dargot, not far right, from here, right. uh, and uh, the Yehudia Nachal in the, in, 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 uh, in the Golan Heights. Right. You, you asked me about how long it had been since uh, I moved to Israel till I, saw my family, so my father came to visit me, as I said, but it was only after 11th grade that I went back for a visit. So in 10th grade, between 10th and 11th grade, I made my, my, I made my own camp, and I spent one week in the Golan, one week in, week in Gush Etzion, wow. one week, I, I prepared it for myself, yeah. and I slept with at my friends' houses, I, and I got around by Trempim. These yeah. were those were the days. Right. You could, you could, the, the, you know, they have these books. You know, Europe on five dollars a day. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. Uh, Israel on five dollars a summer. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
talk about your vocation a little bit, if, if you don't mind. What I like to talk to? about it a lot. Yeah, go ahead. The floor is yours. So um, the story that I tell most often for different audiences is that when I was in the army, I had a, a, a day off or something like that, and I was walking in Jerusalem, and I saw a sign on an apartment across the street. So I crossed the street in order to read the sign because that's one of my uh, hobbies. You know, you can get a degree in Jewish history just by reading the street signs that's in Jerusalem. Right. That's right. This was not a street sign. It was a sign of an office that said ICEJ. So I wondered what it was. I uh, And a beautiful building. And, no, no, this was, oh, a, this was, was just before, an apartment. Before, oh, okay, fine. And I went inside and I saw that it was the ICEJ stood for International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. So I said, wait a second. Uh, Christian, we know what they are. You know, those are the people who did the, uh, the, the, the Holocaust and, the, and the, the, um, the Crusades and all that kind of stuff. I had never recognized that I had been the uh, victim of, uh, of Christian anti-Semitism when I grew up in New York, but it was just well known that, you know, we're a xenophobic nation. What could you do? Yeah. There was Christian, J Jerusalem, that of course meant Jews, and embassy means friendship. So what was this? It just doesn't work that way that there's going to be a Christian embassy for Jews. So I walked inside, looked around, the, re the receptionist said, can I help you? He said, no, 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 just looking, grab some brochures. And I saw that these were Christians who were sincere about wanting to be friends with the Jewish people and with Israel. So that fascinated me. And I said, you know what, there are other Christian organizations here in Jerusalem, the Bridges for Peace and Christian Friends of Israel. I went up to these places and I said, I'd like to hear a little bit more about you. And I just recognized that these people were extending a sincere hand of friendship Jewish people, and this is something that I learned in kindergarten, that if somebody extends their hand in friendship to you, then you embrace that hand and you shake it. And so since then, we're talking about the 80s, it took me a little while to figure out that this is something that I wanted to deal with. I was, uh, like I said before, I was running around doing B'nai Kiva and, yeah. and the Sochnut, and, and then I, uh, for when I got married, I already had to uh, support a family right. so i did a course as a tour as a uh, technical writer and so i was a technical writer for a few years but i said i want to to uh look into this a lot more so i ultimately found an idea which was to teach christians what they were interested in learning they wanted to learn more about israel they wanted to learn more more about the torah they wanted to learn about jews and judaism and I know all about that stuff. I, I, we're talking about, I'd been in Israel for about 30 years. So I said, okay, I'm going to create an organization that will be a place for these Christians to engage with the Jews sincerely and to uh, learn from them whatever they want to teach. And so I uh, had already been engaging with Christian groups. One of, one of my good friends, Christine Darg, would bring groups, small groups, 10, 20 people, to Israel uh, two or three times a year. She would invite me to speak sometimes. And there we were on those walls of Jerusalem. Right. This time we had to pay in order to get up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I, and she said, okay, Gideon, what are you doing nowadays? And I said, okay, I have this vision, this idea. I want to create an online yeshiva for Christians. And everybody in the group gasped and said, hallelujah. Yeah. And one gentleman from the group walked up to me and said, I want to be your first student. And uh, his name was Bob O'Dell from uh, Austin, Texas. And we became very good friends. <clears throat> and he... Uh, invested a little bit in this uh, company because God told him that he had to in help an Orthodox Jew to create a business in Israel. Okay, wow. So who was I to argue with God? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, uh, we fleshed out this idea. Um, I recruited more teachers from my friends in Malay Dumim mostly. And uh, we had beginner's luck and we started out our website is called rootsource, root-source.com. We started out with about six teachers teaching uh, uh, women in Judaism, introductory Hebrew, Pirkei Avot, this kind of stuff, stuff that, that my teachers like to teach anyway. <coughs> and uh, that first year, we had about 30,000 subscribers to oh, our yeah. free newsletter. There's a tremendous thirst, but it's not me innovating this thirst. It's right. right there in the Bible. Right. And that's not just talking about Jews. When we Jews sing every Shabbat um, uh, when we open up the Aaron or close the Aaron, it's, uh, it's not quoting Jews in the Bible. It's quoting nations from all over the world coming to the Jewish people and saying, teach us, for we have heard that God is with you. <coughs> That's from Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 23. I'm learning to quote it in English yeah, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel just like I am excited to be a bit player in the land of Israel, in the, I'm not nascent, but regrown state of Israel, which is what God has, has declared is going to have to be in these end days. Guess what? The Jewish people come back to the land of Israel. Amazing miracle. They come back to God also. Amazing tshuva movement. They refresh their, their language of Hebrew. I think that's also a tremendous, tremendous uh, miracle. And you know what? We're going to soon build the Beit HaMikdash also. That's it. We're done with the Geula. Or are we? What about the other 99.9% .9 of the world? It's a we believe in the ghoul of the entire world. Right. Not we, just not I just refer the to it people. As, I refer to it as the second half of Aleinu. Exactly. <laughs> it's the second half exactly. of Aleinu. That's the job. Yet the Taken Olam Bimalchut yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaddai. Yeah. And so I feel now, Baruch Hashem, there are more and more people who are warming up to this. But when I was doing this, there were two, three maybe people who were who were doing this kind of thing. Even those people, they would often say, we're going to have a website or teach Torah to Jews and others. Right. They can barely say Christians. Yeah. And I've come to the conclusion that if you want to have respect for you and to have a relationship where there is mutual respect, you've got to have mutual respect. And Baruch Hashem, I've found these Christians, my friends, some of them were clueless when they started, but a lot of them were trying to learn Torah on their own. How many students are there? Today with, uh, we have about 15,000 people on our uh, free weekly newsletter, and we've 
have over a half a million views on our YouTube channel and uh, hundreds and thousands of, uh, of Christians have discovered Root Source and consider these Orthodox Jewish uh, teachers uh, amongst their friends. Right. And I consider yeah. so Incredible. many of them also my friends. Incredible. Uh, you came here at a young age, but I still have to ask the question, what do you miss most about the place you came from? The subway. You loved the subway? I loved the subway because where was the B'nai Akiva branch? It was in Manhattan. Oh, okay. And I lived in Queens. So okay. every day I was taking the that subway. Train. The 7 train. It was actually the F train. Oh, the F. Okay. The E and the F. No, no, no. I lived in the, yeah, in the Jewish area. part of Flushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is Aliyah for everyone? Yes and no. Aliyah is definitely for everyone because that's what we're supposed to do. But for two, th I, I, when I was a kid, again, you can't see me, we're on radio. But I, you, but you know, the, the kid, people sit is Indian style, you know, they cross their legs like, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I used to sit with my, my legs out like a, like a letter W. I got it. I got it. Sure. Now, imagine if all your life you're sitting like that, and then you start walking with your, with your legs, with your, with your feet facing inwards instead of outwards. Then somebody says, this is crazy. We got to fix that. So it would hurt a lot to fix that which you felt was natural. Right. But because that's only because for decades you've been, your feet have been facing the wrong way. Imagine a nation for 2,000 years has been doing things unnaturally. And especially in the, in the, the lovely place of the United States where everything is so, we're so used to it. You, to, to come out of it can be very difficult, can hurt for people. And so that's why it's not so easy. But thank God, now the one-year program, the two-year program has become so much more obvious to everybody. When I, when, I, when I came to Israel, there was barely two yeshivas. There was um, hmm. Gush and Yavne, I think. That was about it. And, there was, and the most people who came to Israel for their one-year program was Hachshirah. Of Bnei Akiva, right. and, that, and there were in my year again. I, I came here in tenth grade, so the twelve, the post twelfth graders, they were like hundred and fifty of them on three kibbutzim. Now what's a kibbutz? What's Hashirah? Doesn't it? so things are changing very very fast. And just like God put into my heart, or as uh, my Christians like to say, the Lord put into my heart this feeling about Israel. I think that more and more people, if you will just open your heart and let God put it into your heart, then he, that's what he wants to do. Last question. Uh, you know, people have all sorts of like magnets on their refrigerators and, you know, clever sayings and those kinds of things. What would your magnet say? What kind of concept do you have that like keeps you headed in the right direction? Well, first of all, uh, the magnets on our refrigerator are all those magnetim that we get oh, at bar okay. mitzvahs and weddings. Family pictures, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I still have a sig line on my, uh, on my emails that uh, I, I think answers your question. And that is, um, happy are those who have discovered that the secret of life is to be nice to others. Very nice. We, we, we've talked a lot about my life and about Israel, but, uh, and of course, I'm an Orthodox Jew living in an Orthodox community, 
But I think that Ben Adam L'Chavero has gotten not enough airtime in, uh, in uh, Orthodox uh, Dati education. And, uh, you know, if I, can, if I can be so chutzpahdik, I think that, that God didn't give enough uh, a focus on it in, in his mitzvot. And uh, I think, though, it's because God said, listen, it's really a lot easier to do mitzvot ben adam le makom. So let's give you guys a little bit of the easy, the easy stuff, a lot of the easy stuff. And as they say, kasheba imunim kalba krav. It's hard in the exercise, but it'll be easy in the battle. Once you guys get really good at uh, Ben Adam Le Makom, then uh, doing Ben Adam Le Chavero, you'll, you'll be a little bit more practicing. Unfortunately, it's not, it's, it's not as easy as, uh, as, as maybe God thought it would be. But uh, I really think that that is uh, the most important thing. And, and we see maybe because of the, uh, of the going away from that, from religion that we had a few hundred years ago, um, that today we have so many lo datiim, their focus must be on ben adam l'chavero. And so that is something that we have to learn. We religious people have to try to keep up with the Joneses, Joneses of focusing on that so as well. We religious people have to learn from the other religious people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're focusing on different areas of religion. Nahan. Say the saying one more time. Happy are those who have discovered that the secret of life is to be nice to others. Very nice. Gidon Ariel, thank you very much for returning again to your story. Continue to impact the world. It's an incredible story, and thank you very much for sharing. And I'll be very happy for anybody who's listening to contact me. Just Google Gidon Ariel or Root Source, and I'll be happy to respond. <laughs>